Well, it's our privilege to have Tim and Esther Newfeld with us today, and uh, I told the Sunday School class this, but I, I didn't, haven't told you yet, but I, I asked him to speak on a couple of specific things. I don't usually do that when we have missionary guests, because the, they have things on their heart that they want to share, but uh, Tim and Esther uh, retired recently, and I said, would you please answer this question? Uh, would you do it all again? Would you go back and spend 40 years of your life serving the Lord in Togo? And uh, I was pretty sure I knew what the answer would be, uh, but I don't know exactly how he would answer that. And I think it's good for us to hear that, that long-term perspective of uh, serving the Lord and, and the goodness of the Lord in that. So Tim, Lord bless you as you come and share. Thank you, Dave. Um, uh, Dave told me I'm supposed to preach, and uh, by nature, I generally don't preach, I share. So you will excuse me if I just share some thoughts, and I wanted to begin with something I got online. Uh, Somebody forwarded this on to me, and I thought it was so appropriate. I immediately thought of my good wife and of some of the struggles that she's had, and this has to do with uh, Missionary Mommy Wars. If any of you have seen it, you'll bear with me here. Missionary Mommy Wars, and by the way, this could, the same can be said of pastor's wives, so just uh, put your pastor's wife in here in place of the missionary, and uh, you'll learn a few things about uh, some of the struggles that the feminine side of this ministry equation has to deal with. It's written by a man. I just want to come out and say I'm not a mommy. In fact, I'm not a woman. Okay, there were some of the weirdest sentences I've ever ever written, but despite my obvious shortcomings, I'm still writing this article, and here's why. I look around, and I see young moms and experienced moms who are serving cross-culturally, and they're under siege. I see them battle-weary and bleary-eyed, burdened by expectations that would crush the strongest. I see them wrangle toddlers in tonal languages, I watch them brave open-air markets with raw meat hanging on hooks or lying on tables, and open-air homes with neighbors peering in through the windows. Missionary moms are exposed on all fronts, and they feel it. Everyone's watching them. The local people watch every move. Confused by the foreigner and her progeny, when she returns home for a visit, she feels watched just the same. And for the record, jet lag does strange things to children, so any misbehavior can and should be blamed on jet lag for at least the first two months. (laughs) The mom on the mission field is stretched thin. She must take care of her household, figure out how to do all the stuff she used to know how to do. She must learn the local language and culture, educate her children, save the world, communicate with senders, support her husband, and convert everyone through her calm spirit and mild demeanor. I'm speaking with slight hyperbole, sort of. But if you pause and observe, you too will see the missionary moms, especially the newbies, have a whole lot on their plate. And it's stressing them out big time. Missionary dads are expected to do the work. Period. They are judged, for better or worse, on their work product. How is the ministry going? Not so with moms. The missionary mom is judged by how well her kids behave, how well her kids transition, how well her kids are educated, how healthy her marriage is, how well she knows the local language, in addition to how well the ministry is going. It's not fair, and I'm calling it. We need to pause and care for the women among us who are being crushed by unrealistic expectations. 
So can we call a ceasefire? Can we stop taking aim at missionary moms slash pastors' wives, expecting them to be everything and then criticizing them when they fail to accomplish the impossible? And can you, missionary mom, and this is important, stop taking aim at yourself? You can't do it all, but that doesn't make you weak. It makes you human. Paul said in Ephesians 4.16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. No part does all the work. Each part does its own work, and that work is special. What is the special work to which God is calling you? Maybe right now your primary task on the mission field is taking care of your own little people. I might say the same thing for every mom with young kids here. Maybe that's what God has called you to do. Uh, That's special work that helps the whole body to be healthy and growing and full of love. It's not less than something else. Maybe it's leading an entire mission. That too is special work that helps the whole body to be healthy and growing and full of love. It's not less than something else. I might add here that we had single missionary ladies who struggled with the identity of their role. We had medical doctors who struggled because they weren't quote-unquote church planters, and they felt like they were second class. Isn't it amazing how, we can, how quickly we can uh, look at somebody else and feel that, that we are less than, and that's what he's referring to here. When missionary moms, due to external pressure or internal securities, try to do everything, the whole body ends up being hurt. And not helped. The most important thing for you to do is the work God has called you to do. I'll say it again. A healthy mission field does not depend on you doing it all. Health and growth and love come when each person does the work that God is asking her to do. No comparisons allowed. The mirage of the perfect missionary mom is alluring and dangerous. If you try to follow her, you will be perpetually discouraged, depressed, and exhausted. On the flip side, if you feel like you are the perfect missionary mom, you will be perpetually arrogant, haughty, and annoying. And then he goes on to ask, what would you change? And he gives a list of things here. And I thought that that was so good. I wanted you to understand some of the things that my wife and I think an awful lot of missionary moms and maybe pastor's wives have to deal with on a regular basis. And uh, it brings for a lot of heartache and a lot of sadness in what ought to be a very joyful situation. time in our life. Uh, Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that God has taught me and why I would do it again, because I would do it again. I'm glad God isn't calling me to do it again. At my age, I find I don't have the energy I used to have, uh, and I think God has a time in our life for each thing that he calls us to do. If you're young, uh, Spurgeon, I think, said, give it your all, because the day will come when you can't. Uh, and he knew what he was talking about. He died rather young, but man, did that, did that man put out the work and was a huge blessing for God's people, still is. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, you have given each of us a special calling. Uh, you have a plan for each and every one of us, and we know that you grant us a lot of freedom in deciding what to do, but at the same time, we believe that you are guiding our steps, directing our steps, and you're sending us first one way and then another, and each individual uh, has opportunity to 
uh, be used and uh, to glorify you through a life of service, and we thank you for that. Bless our time today as we seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and not ourselves. And uh, we can smile at some things and we can perhaps want to weep at some things. But all in all, we thank you, Father, that uh, you've not just saved us to take us to heaven, but you saved us and gave us something to do, something that matters and that will matter for all of eternity. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was asked, uh, would we do it again? And I've already answered that question. Yes, we would. And I'm so glad that I don't have to do it again. At, at this age, anyway, I'm 60, oh, 67, okay? Uh, 67 years old. And I find, and we have to be honest, most of us, when we get up in, in years, find that we don't have the energy level that we had as younger people. And when we could get up early in the morning and work through until midnight, and we did that uh, on occasion, and uh, quite frequently, rarely got to bed before 11 o'clock at night while we were in our younger years, and uh, managed to fill those hours and to get up feeling refreshed for the most part and ready to go at it another day. And I don't have that anymore. Uh, my eyes get heavy when I start getting somewhat past 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, and uh, I find that, that I'm ready for bed. And so God hasn't called me to do it again, but I would do it again, and there are several reasons why. And I want to begin with a biblical reason, first of all. In Romans, the 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul uh, begins to beseech his brethren. And he says this, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The old King James said, you're reasonable service, and it is reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, uh, that you may prove what, it, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the New American Standard Version, and I think it's pretty accurate in the way it was translated. Uh, I memorized it. Uh, as a Bible college student, when I was wrestling with what would God have me to do? See, I had my own plans. And I figured I knew uh, I wanted to settle down in America and, uh, and serve God, but in a comfortable place and uh, uh, in, a, in a calling of my own choosing. And somebody challenged me. And it was a missionary who challenged me, Tim, have you ever considered becoming a missionary? And I didn't want to hear that because that meant overseas again, and I'd been overseas in the service, and I definitely was more comfortable here in the good old USA. And uh, on top of that, I didn't know that I really wanted to be a minister of any kind, a professional in, or in, in a calling that would mean that that's how uh, God would provide for me. I wanted to get a job a good job where I didn't have to get rich, but where I could live comfortably. That was my dream and my vision. It was right at this time when I was looking at some possibilities, getting close to graduating from what was then Western Baptist Bible College, uh, today Corbin University, and uh, thinking about the future and deciding that I had better have some plans. And uh, this missionary kind of messed me up when he asked me this question. As I was uh, hanging out the laundry, I think at that time Marianne had been born and I was hanging out uh, diapers that we used to wash diapers. We don't do that anymore. But uh, 
Back then, uh, we, we didn't use paper diapers. We used uh, cotton diapers, and so I had helped Esther by doing some of the laundry and hanging it out. And this guy's standing there, and he says, Tim, have you ever considered becoming a missionary? And my heart just skipped a beat. That was not what I wanted to hear at that point in time. And because I had my own plans. And I knew what I, I had a pretty good idea. I knew what I wanted to do, and I was hoping that God would approve my plans. And uh, uh, sometimes God does. But in this case, uh, it, uh, it, it started to stir at my conscience. And, uh, and so I asked him, well, I don't know how I would know that I should be a missionary or not. Because I had read missionary biographies, and we grew up in a missionary uh, supporting church at Grace Baptist in Linden. And we met missionaries. We'd had missionaries in our home. And uh, my parents and my, uh, my aunts in particular would give me biographies of missionaries to read. I like to read. And so I knew all about missionaries, and I knew that they had to be called. You had to be called if you wanted to become a missionary. And, and so... Uh, and it was also, you didn't go out to be a missionary for a year or for four years. You went out for all your entire life. That was my impression of missions uh, back in, in 1970 or so when this was going, or 71. And so uh, I, I said, well, how would a person even know? And, and I wasn't listening to him uh, because my mind is just racing, and I'm thinking, how can I get out of this, you know? <laughs> without admitting to him that, that uh, here I am, Bible college student, and I don't really want to go into the ministry. I want to do something else with my own life. And uh, so he talked, and I can't remember a word that he said, but I, I gave the safe answer. I said, well, I guess I'll pray about it. <laughs> and uh, so I went in, and I dropped the bombshell on Esther, and she started to cry. And I think she said something like, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> you did. I remember that. And I, th- I, I can't stand a crying woman. I mean, it just drives me up the wall. And so I tried to comfort her. And, and I said, I didn't say I'm going to be a missionary. I just said, we'll pray about it and see you know, if we can figure out what God has for us. And so here's one of these God moments. I really didn't know how you would... No, if God wanted you to do something like that. I really didn't. And the Bible is a big book. You know, it's well over a thousand pages. And so don't tell me to just go to the Bible uh, because I needed some help. I needed somebody that, that had paved the way before, had gone before, and who could show me where in the Bible it talks about knowing the will of God for your life. And my father had passed away in, in 1969, and I being the only college student in the family, inherited his books. And among his books, he used to support uh, Back to the Bible broadcast in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, and they would occasionally send out a Moody Cole Portage book that, uh, on a topic. And lo and behold, as I, I figured, well, I'll look and see if there's anything in my dad's library. I pulled open the box, and I pulled the books out, and here's a book that says How to Know God's Will. And I thought it might have something that would help me. <laughs> and uh, written by a, a missionary that was then the missionary in residence at, uh, at the Back to the Bible broadcast. And uh, 
so I picked up the book, and I swear that book was written for me. It was like the author knew everything that I had been thinking about, and every, every question that was, was disturbing me and keeping me from, from knowing God's will, he answered, and he did it by ex, ex, an exposition of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And uh, basically, I mean, he talked about the fact that uh, uh, God's will isn't something bad. God's not going to ask you to do something that you hate to do all of your life. And that, you know, to be honest, when he said that, that, that was my impression. I could just see God putting me in a rescue mission. And I had done some rescue mission ministry. I didn't like the way they smelled, and I didn't like the people that, uh, that were being helped. And I thought, if I surrender to God, sure enough, he's going to put me in a place like that. And I'll just tough it out, you know. And, uh, and so I wasn't sure I wanted to do what, you know, and he pointed out, you know, you start with surrendering to God. Presenting your body to God is a way of saying presenting yourself to God. Saying, God, uh, what will you have me to do? It's kind of like the Apostle Paul when he encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And, and, I, and he pointed out, don't expect God to tell you what to do if, if God knows that you aren't going to do it unless you decide that you, you know, you're in favor of what he wants you to do. In other words, God calls every one of his servants to a life of surrender. Who is God in your life? Well, now I'm preaching. I'm not just sharing, huh? And, uh, and so I had to deal with some issues here. And when I finished dealing with it, God just changed the way I looked at things. And it has to be a God thing because I, I really did not want to be a missionary when I started studying. And then by the time I got done, I couldn't think of anything more exciting to do than to be a missionary. Now, things come and go. You know, Paul says it's kind of a once-for-all thing, but I found that the, as a sacrifice, I'm pretty good at getting off the altar and deciding, well, now maybe I don't want to do that. You know, Lord, I thought I had settled that issue, but now I'm not so sure I settled that issue. But uh, uh, to make a long story short, God led us to, uh, to go with the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism. And by the way, we had prayed for Ralph and Marge as kids at Grace Baptist, and we prayed for the other, the mid-missions missionaries, Jenny Adams and I'm getting old, and the names slip me now. So, but I can remember how faithfully the church prayed for uh, our missionaries, the people that came. And maybe we gave them $10 a month. I don't know what the back then the missionary policy was a little bit different. They didn't give a lot of money, but they certainly, I'll say this, I remember this very well. They read the prayer letters in the church service or excerpts from the prayer letters, and then they prayed for the things that people asked for. We don't do that anymore. I guess we don't have time. For that anymore, and maybe we had longer church church services then. I'm not sure, but missions was uh, Grace Baptist in Linden. I mean, they talked. We we, we were just continually uh, exposed to missionary influences, and that perhaps had something to do with with the fact that we were open and 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 ready once God got a hold of my heart and settled the question of ownership and. Uh, uh, it no, was no longer a question of, oh, God's going to make me do this, but hey, this is the most exciting thing I could possibly do with my life, and I want to say 
that uh, it's been a pretty good life. Uh, we've certainly been far from perfect. Uh, we've made our share of mistakes, but God uh, kind of helped us through those times. And you know what a blessing it is to, uh, to get uh, a, uh, and this is all email stuff anymore, and you get a, what do you call it, a link. I got, like I got last year, a link from a radio station in, uh, back in somewhere in South Carolina, I think, or North Carolina, one of the Carolinas. It was way back on the East Coast. And there's a fellow named Kofi Wodome who's there raising support. He's a church planter in, uh, uh, in Togo. And Kofi talks about, as a boy, he gives his, his testimony of salvation. And he said, and these missionaries moved in next door to us. And the missionary man would come out and play soccer with us. And, and then his wife would invite us in for cookies and some red drink. That wasn't wine, but it was red Kool-Aid. And, uh, and we, had, uh, we had Kool-Aid that we would, Esther would fix up. And then after we had played with the, with the boys, uh, come on into the house. And he said, we were warned, don't drink that red drink. It'll, it'll, it will seduce you. And pretty soon you'll find yourself going to their church. <laughs> and he said, but it was so good, I drank it anyway. <laughs> and that's how he came. And then he says, and I thank God for Pastor Newfeld. That was our first term, the term that I thought we had wasted in the city of Lome. Uh, the term when nothing seemed to go right, when I was very good at killing a church that somebody else had started. And we eventually closed the doors. But we didn't lose the people that, that had been saved in that church, that small handful of children that were saved. And uh, uh, before we came home, and I think I shared this with you, but if you weren't here, uh, before we came home, uh, this last term up in Mongo, uh, we took somebody down that needed eye surgery and, uh, and just help for her eye. She had one eye that she had lost. She had a glass eye, and the other eye was scarred from a, probably a measles or a chickenpox epidemic that she suffered as a child, and she had a cataract growing on it. And so her vision was diminishing, and we wanted to see if we could help her. And We didn't have any doctors that worked with eyes at our hospital in, in Chico. And so... Uh, we took her down to this hospital, to this clinic that we heard about, and uh, they tell us, you know, the, the tr- people that do the triage say, said, we can't help you. Kind of a discouraging thing. We didn't know where else we would go to find help. And, and uh, I step out into the street, and here comes a man, and he says, Pastor Newfeld, what are you doing here? And it's uh, one of the Wodomes. And I explained to him why we had come, and, he, and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm the doctor. <laughs> Turns out he's an eye surgeon, and, uh, and a very good one, too, according to the testimony of some of our doctors who met him and who knew how he was trained. And they said he's a, he's a good surgeon. And he later on did surgery and helped to improve. He said, I can't do what really needs to be done, that is a corneal transplant. I can't do that. And at some point, she's going to need cataract surgery when, when that gets thick enough and ready for, for removal. But uh, he was able to help her. And then from that, he said, I've got, I, I've got to call my sister. My sister is serving in 
uh, in uh, one of the churches that we helped to plant. Jim Plunkett and I used to go there and, and do evangelism. We thought nothing had come of that. But there's a church there today. And, uh, and that's where she attends. And she showed up and she said, do you remember me? And I said, no. Uh, a woman that's uh, 35 or 38 years old looks considerably different from a teenager. And I didn't recognize her, and she told me who she was, and of course I remembered the name. Later on, I spoke at, at one of the churches that we'd started in the, in the capital city of Lome, the first church that actually became independent, able to stand on its own feet, and they've gone and they've started, I think, 10 or 13 other churches, sent to Christian workers all over the country, and some are, by the way, starting a church in the Atlanta area. Uh, somehow they made it to the U.S. These Togolese get around. And uh, they have started a church because they wanted a church where they could worship in their language, Eve, and in French. So they started their own church, and they've been out looking for other Togolese people living there in the Atlanta area and been evangelizing and already baptized some people, and they want a pastor so that they can start a church and have a real church there, looking to raise money and, and start a church here in the good old USA. And, you know, humanly speaking, none of that would have happened had we not been there. Now, God could have and probably would have used somebody else. But what a privilege it was to be used of God in that way, to see God use us to bring people to faith in Christ and then to teach them the word of God and to impart a burden for evangelizing the lost and starting other churches. And just to have a part in that, uh, it's a great privilege and a great joy. Um, as I said, I met in that church, and I mentioned to, to a group of church leaders there that I had always felt that our first term in Lome had been a waste. We had not accomplished. We tried to start a church, and we ended up killing the church, or so I thought. I closed the doors and brought whoever was left over to the other church that we eventually did bring to, uh, to uh, maturity. And uh, somebody from the back said, oh, no, pastor, I was saved. And then his brother, that's Kofi, who's, who's the fellow that gave the testimony back in, in the Carolinas on the radio station there. And, uh, and he said, you didn't waste your, your time. Uh, that's how I came to know Jesus. And then from the back of the room, another voice spoke up, and me too, and that was one of his brother's. And when I look at it, we have one who is a professor of mathematics at the university, and he's a deacon in one of the Baptist churches that we started. Another one is, is, a, uh, is a church planter now in Lome. Uh, the other one, as I mentioned, is, is a medical doctor, an eye surgeon. And all of them are serving the Lord and using their gifts and their, and their talents and their training uh, to reach their countrymen with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd say it's worthwhile, uh, for sure. Well, we need to move on here, because that's my, my first story. Would I do it again? Well, I would do it again because if God called me to do it again, I would. Because that's how it started with us. We said, God, what would you have us to do? And I think that God very clearly showed us, that's what I want you to do. And it's because we had this strong, this theology that God calls people to ministry. You don't just pick up and do it on your own and say, I think I'm going to do this. But I, I really believe that God works in your heart and he impresses upon you 
And I can't exactly tell you how, but in, in, in our case, it was looking seriously at the word of God and saying, Lord, I guess we need to start with, are you going to be the Lord of our life or not? And if you are, then I just need to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God led us into the mission field. It's interesting. I've not had that strong of an impression very often that this was something that God wanted me to do. At the end of our first term, we had gotten into a quarrel with, or we got dragged into a quarrel. I'm not a quarrelsome person. I just am not. Uh, and so I don't seek strife, and I try to avoid it as much as possible. But somehow I got dragged into an intermissionary fight. And I was so discouraged, and I wasn't eating properly, and I, we came home, and I think I weighed 145 pounds. And we came home, and I weigh about 175 now, so you can kind of picture my suit. I had a suit, and it just hung on my frame. And so I, I had trouble eating, and I had trouble sleeping, and I was bound and determined I was going to change fields. I wouldn't leave the field because God had called me to be a missionary, but I would go somewhere else. And uh, every time I said, well, that's what I'm going to do, I lost my peace. It's, it was uncanny. It was as if God was saying, no, I want you here. I want you to stay in Togo. And I, and, and I would say, okay, but then I'm free to move somewhere else, and I'll still serve the Lord somewhere else. And, and, and then I couldn't sleep at night because my, my mind was in a whirl and... and it was as if God was, the Spirit of God was saying, no, that's not what I want you to do. Now, I had freedom to do that, but I finally said, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what we'll do. And we went back with fear and trembling, and we, had, we found uh, uh, that we had the most blessed term of service, I think, that we ever had. I mean, we had some other good terms, but this was hard work, people in the house constantly, uh, but uh, a church that, that grew from 40 people. When we left, there were about four or five boys left in the church, and the missionary that uh, came back took it over and built it up to around 40. We kept it for a year, and it had grown to almost 100, and we could no longer meet in our, our front yard. There wasn't room for it anymore. And let me tell you, when you've spent a term of service and you've seen next to nothing, you've seen your church dwindle away to next to nothing, uh, it was a thrilling thing to see people saved almost every Sunday. I mean, give an invitation, and somebody would come forward and say, yes, I want to be saved. And those were exciting days. And that church eventually grew to over 500 people in attendance, and as I said, they've gone out and started 10. or I don't, I've lost track of the churches that they've started. But they helped us start other churches uh, in Lome, and they've gone out around the country, and they've been planting churches. And... Uh, uh, I understand now why God said, no, I don't want you to leave and go to some other country. I want you here. And he made it very clear. And that's my testimony of how God led in our life. I mean, he just gave us a strong impression that this is what I want you to do. Well, praise the Lord for that. Well, let me go ahead and uh, mention... Uh, One of the things from the second term, this I was going to give a whole overview, but I can't do that. Uh, the importance of children, well, the importance of joy. One of the things that attracted people is that most religious people are so mournful. And please excuse me if you're Roman Catholic, but the Roman Catholics have, they sing mournful songs, at least in Togo they do. And uh, uh, it, it's just kind of a dreary 
have to do it type of a thing. And, and one of the things that our churches did were we, we just sang, uh, and we'd take a half an hour to sing on Sunday evening before anybody got up to preach. I mean, they sang, and they didn't want to stop. They just wanted to sing. Well, God uses the, the strangest things. We had a, a young lady uh, that married uh, one of our church leaders, and I asked her, we had her over for a week of vacation at our house up in Cara, and I asked her, uh, how did you get saved? And she said, oh, and she had a big smile on her face. And she said, I used to walk by the church on Sunday evening, and I would hear the singing, and I just loved the singing. I would stand there, and I would listen to the singing. And uh, she said, my mom had told me, if you go to that church, you'll go crazy, so don't do it, ever set foot inside of that church. And, uh, and that was the way they frightened their young people. You'll go crazy if you go to the Baptist church, because then you, you'll, you'll no longer be a Catholic or no longer be an animist or whatever it was. So, so that's becoming crazy. And so she said, I was, I was warned, don't you ever go. Don't set foot inside. But she said, I loved, every Sunday I found myself going to hear them sing. And I loved the singing, loved the songs. And uh, so she said, one day, somebody came out and said, well, hey, why don't you come in? And she said, I looked around, and mom wasn't there. <laughs> so I went in, and that's where she heard the gospel. And it didn't take long for her to say, this is, that's the most wonderful message. You know, it is. We sang it this morning. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. What does that mean? I can't trust my feelings. But I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. And that's, uh, that's true. That's, that's, that's sound Bible doctrine. And she heard that message. You're not saved by taking the ladder that God let down from heaven, that Jesus brought down from heaven so that you can climb up into heaven. That's official Catholic teaching. I've seen it in one of their theology works for beginners. You know, Christ did, of course, what is necessary. He died for us. And he led down a ladder. Now it's up to you to climb up to heaven. In other words, work your way into heaven. And that's not true, folks. If that's what you're counting on, you've missed it. I wholly lean on Jesus and what he did for me. And she heard that message, and she trusted Christ, and then the persecution started. Her mother found out. Her daughter was going to, and she said, oh, she beat me. And she said this with a big smile. Africans are marvelous people. Oh, he beat me. They beat me up real bad, and they're smiling the whole time. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how can you smile? You know? And then she said they would, wouldn't pay my school. But they said, if you're going to go to that church, then don't expect us to pay for your school costs. And then they wouldn't feed me. I'd come home, and they'd say, no food for you. You went to the church, that Baptist church. And she said there was a time of suffering, and she's saying all of this with a big smile on her face. And I said, well, how are your folks now? Well, they both came to know Christ as their Savior. <laughs> After all of the serious persecution, and we've, we've seen that happen again and again, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who wouldn't do it again? If you could participate in something like that. Um, well, I wanted to mention... Uh, some of the, one of the trials and tribulations of, uh, and I'll, I, I promise I'll close with this here because I know people have things that you have to do. But uh, I, I learned, I've learned over the years something of the importance of ministering to children. 
And we decided to, early on in our, in our time at, at the Bay Church, this second term of service, that, uh, that we would have a vacation Bible school. And I figured, how are we, we going to get kids to come? Well, we decided, let's give them, each, each day we'll give them a little present. A little picture that we'd mimeographed off with a Bible verse on it. Uh, some kind of a bookmark that, you know, some ladies' missionary fellowship had made a thousand bookmarks and we brought them out to Togo. And so we had lots of bookmarks to give out. And with a little picture, you know, from a church bulletin or something like that, plasticized. And uh, stuff like that was uh, the kind of stuff that we would throw away now. But, but uh, the Togolese, uh, 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 so we had 125 kids that showed up the first day, and we gave them a present. Well, you can imagine in Togo, you do that, uh, word gets around that, hey, they, they gave us this. And, and uh, uh, so the next day, there were 200 kids. And uh, we gave everybody a little gift. And the following day, there were 300 kids. And uh, by the time Friday rolled around, that was the last day of our VBS, we had 600 kids in our yard. Now, 600 kids could barely stand shoulder to shoulder in our yard. And I thought, how are we going to manage this? How do you control 600 kids, 1,200 little feet stamping on your grass? (laughs) I had a grass lawn, you know. And there was not a blade of grass, I kid you not, there was not a blade of grass left when, they, when we finished that day. And I thought, what have I done? I'm never going to do this again. 600 kids. And somehow or other, the teachers managed to teach them their lessons. And uh, I thought, well, that was kind of a waste. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're counting on numbers or just thinking about numbers, uh, then it was successful. But they couldn't really work with 600 kids. You would agree. Put 600 kids here with your leaders, and what are you going to do with them? Uh, it was that kind of a situation. Well, some time later, there was a young man, teenager, uh, named Roman, uh, who was in our church, and he talked to me about his sister who came to Christ, came to faith in Christ. I think she was eight years old, and she had trusted Christ as her Savior at our vacation Bible school. And she died. She got sick, and I don't know what her illness was, but there was nobody to help her, and so she ended up dying. And she knew she was dying. Now, get this for an eight-year-old child. And she talked to her parents, and she said, Mom and Dad, I'm not afraid to die, because when I die, I know I'm going to heaven. But I don't think you're going to heaven, because you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. Roman told me this later on. Talk about making an impression on her parents. Uh, It's one of those things where you're saving the perishing. An eight-year-old child that shouldn't be that mature and uh, know that much, but she knew that she had trusted Jesus as her Savior, and she was totally unafraid to die, and she died. I didn't even know she was sick. It's one of the children in the neighborhood, and nobody ever came and said, hey, so-and-so is sick. I didn't know that she had trusted Christ as her Savior. Just all I knew was that there were 600 kids who had destroyed my lawn. (laughs) And uh, I was a little bit upset about that, and of course, we had to go to work and replant the lawn, and you don't reseed it. You go out and you dig up grass from somewhere else, and then you plant it bit by bit, clump by clump, and the lawn came back, by the way. 
Uh, that's the way we did it then. But uh, would I do it again? Yeah. Yeah. Am I thankful that God gave us the opportunity to do it? Uh, because uh, I, I certainly don't feel as though I was worthy of that high calling. Uh, I uh, certainly see my lack of faith and my my penchant to get irritated at times with some of the things that people do. Uh, when you work with a, num- a good number of people, you run into people that can annoy you and irritate you. Uh, and yet God was merciful and gracious through it all. And yeah, we would do it again. And uh, let me simply ask you, are you serving God? What are you doing for God? God has something for each and every one of us. He doesn't intend for us and even retired missionaries to just sit around and wait for heaven. While we have life and strength and health and the ability to do something, God expects us to be faithful in serving him. Look for something that you can do, some way that you can serve the Lord. You won't be sorry. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, First Baptist Church of Ferndale. I'm grateful for the support they gave us for so many years, and I'm grateful that they're sending out people to serve elsewhere and to serve again in Togo. God, I just pray that uh, you will bless those uh, that are working so hard to try to get the hospital ready for opening and uh, bless that new ministry. Oh, Lord, we thank you that there is already a ministry going on to the Fulani people and that some of the men have trusted Christ very openly. We didn't expect to see that so quickly. And maybe you're going to do something really great and, and uh, how exciting it is to, to realize that Muslims are hearing the message and hearing it clearly and deciding that uh, through the ministry of your spirit that they are being drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray for them, these that have openly stated that they want to follow Jesus. Please protect them when there is persecution. And we pray that you'll open the hearts of many more. We ask now your blessing on this afternoon and, and on the rest of this Lord's Day. We do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.